How we doing, guys? All right, I don't usually hit you with something before the interview, but today is special. Tom Kenyon's story is so out there at times that I think it's important you hear his channeled sounds before we get into an interview rather than after. Because for me, I don't usually react positively to channeled material or the personalities involved in this space. And I'm sure I'm not alone, so I want to set you up right. Because when I saw video of Tom doing his thing live, I thought, man, there's a there there. And the fact that he spent a lot of his life studying consciousness and these exotic experiences and connections to non-human intelligence in practical ways is icing on the cake. Now, when Tom is producing music and sound meditations in a not live environment, my understanding is that it's a combination of channeling and layering in of sounds and music. He is a musician. And the Hathors sometimes tell him when it's satisfactory to release. I could be wrong on that, but I think it's right. The point is, though, he's done a lot of live events where he channels on stage into a single microphone. And that is where my mind was most blown. So I asked him for a clip from an unadulterated, unfiltered stream of consciousness live channeling that I could play for you guys to help get you to see what I see in Tom's abilities. And the only other thing I want to say before we dive in is I asked Tom a few nights before recording if he had a suggestion from his website of a meditation guided by his channeled sounds that would be most likely to give me some sort of potent experience. And he suggested an 11-minute meditation called the Cave of Altruin that is described as a, quote, Hathorian sound meditation used as a means to explore healing and restorative states of consciousness through the use of a unique acoustic sound matrix and creative imagery. Well, after honestly saying so many things don't work for me, this did. I had a much more potent visual experience than pretty much any other meditation I've ever done. So I'm a Tom Kenyon believer, and I think he checks the boxes of so many other involuntary mystics or people who didn't set out to be like this, but had an unexpected and random breakthrough experience that has kept them tethered to something in the field, whatever that is. So here comes the clip Tom sent me. It does contain some drumming and chimes, which are not uncommon to see him with when he does a live event. But besides that, these are sounds coming through one man's voice in a single take, and I think that's wild. And if a person was channeling higher dimensional beings, or if said beings had frequency-based or vibratory technology to share with us, I could see Tom being a mechanism for transferring that to the people of Earth, because that's what's supposedly going on here, oddly enough. So the clip's about two minutes. If you want to skip ahead past any of it, or if you've heard enough, that's what you're looking at. And here we go.
Puppet masters almost surely have a plan There's clearly maybe something there beyond the realm of man And until you thoroughly tested every last close trusted view I find the more you think you know, the less you really do That's true, Dr. Sayers Where would we be without THC? Brace yourselves, higher side chatters. From the Sunshine State, I'm Greg Carlwood. In all of our modern Western lives, we've been trained to focus on little else but the number in our bank account and whatever work we signed up to do that hopefully keeps it in the positive. Our educational system drills in compliance, hierarchy, and that your boss will pile on more work than you can do in a day. And this rigid structure oftentimes can dominate a person's life until it's just about over with the only escape being Hollywood's commercialized worlds and stories created to capture just enough of your attention to sell the ad space, rinse, and repeat. But what if you didn't need the TV or the Xbox to explore other worlds? What if, in fact, the constant flow of corporate entertainment actually buries our natural abilities in an avalanche of shallow digital imaginal junk food, and like babies, the big machine just gives our consciousness a pacifier to suck on so it stays quiet? Look almost anywhere outside of the main vein of our culture and you see rich traditions of meditation, rhythmic ritual, drum circles, group chanting, entheogenic ceremonies, breath workers, astral travel, lucid dreaming, sacred temples built for contact, occult traditions, and plenty of those spirit being phone books we call grimoires. All of these methods and more have helped humans tap into astral intelligences, hidden worlds, and unseen dimensions for as long as history has records. And those who cultivate these abilities will often say they're a lot more rewarding than another season of Yellowstone. And today's guest, Tom Kenyon, is exactly one of these people. When Tom was 18, he had what he learned to call a spontaneous Sumati experience on his uncle's farm in North Carolina that sent him on a path of curiosity as to what the heck that was. He went down the scientific path in education, studying brain science and ending up with a BA in communication a master's degree in psychological counseling and postgraduate training in Ericksonian medical hypnosis and a certification in whole brain learning at the Whole Brain Learning Institute. He had over two decades of private practice as a psychotherapist and counselor before he formed Acoustic Brain Research in 1983 to scientifically document the effects of sound and music on consciousness. But he also saved room for the spiritual path, studying and becoming a teacher of five major systems of transformation, Tibetan Buddhism, Taoism, Hinduism, Egyptian high alchemy, and esoteric Christianity. Along the way, sometime in the late 80s, after 13 years of brain research, the Hathors showed up. The Hathors say that they are a group of interdimensional intergalactic beings who were connected to ancient Egypt through the temple of the goddess Hathor, as well as several other prehistory cultures. He was contacted by them during meditation, and they began to instruct him in the vibratory nature of the cosmos, the use of sacred geometry as a means to stimulate brain performance, and in the use of sound to activate psycho-spiritual experiences. He is now one of the most well-respected sound healers and meditation guides in the world today, channeling Hathor sounds that you can barely believe come from one person with a near four-octave vocal range. 
He's also the author of several books of channeled material, as well as Brain States and a novel called Mind Thieves. He's done a lot on this island earth, and it's going to be fun getting into it. The Hathor communicator, master meditator, and sound healer extraordinaire, Tom, welcome to the higher side. Thank you, Greg. That was a great intro. I love your approach that we do live in a dystopian society. People are so disconnected from the reality of their lives, caught up in the digital madness, as you said. So I'm right on the same page. Yes, and we can get into if that's a happy accident or by design. But it is true that a lot of people who might roll their eyes at something like channeling, you dig into how much exploration of consciousness they've done, and it's very little. So a lot of times the skepticism really comes from a place of ignorance because a lot of people don't have any context for what consciousness might be able to do or how it might be able to facilitate travel, what we might be able to do with, say, spiritual technologies that might be kind of in your wheelhouse. But the sounds you make really are incredible. I know you've had to have heard this a thousand times, but they sound like my entheogenic experiences have felt. They sound like an Alex Gray painting looks. And <laughs> I, <like that. laughs> I just love that this random Sumati experience triggered this crazy world for you, sent you down this path of blending science and spirit. I watched the documentary about you, Song of the New Earth, which covers some of the other breakthrough experiences that have come over the years. But what I tried to do in that intro is make the point that what has happened to you is really not that strange in other times and in other cultures. And that's probably fair to say. Would you agree? I would agree. Yeah. So I'm really interested in how a person in your position maps out consciousness and reality. Like this is jumping right into the deep end of the pool. But if anyone goes back and sees your previous interviews, the hours and hours of content that you've produced and the conference presentations you've given, let's just assume you are connected to interdimensional beings and have channeled many even different types of beings. What kind of insight does that give you into consciousness? How do you map these things out so that what you experience is possible? Well, in my early 20s, I was really exploring different mystical traditions because I'd had that experience at 18 on my uncle's farm. And I was trying to figure out what the heck was this? Because I had no context as a white boy from North Carolina. And so I went into these traditions, all the traditions I work with very deeply, and they were mental mind experiments to see what would happen to my consciousness as I use a technique, say, from Tibetan Buddhism or esoteric Christianity or shamanism, whatever it is, they all have these methods. So I went into those methods, explored them, and I had a broader and broader experience. But the paradox was that what really brought it together was science, because I was looking at brain science at the same time, and I saw some very interesting parallels. And if you look at the descriptions of researchers in neuropsychology and physics, many of them are talking about using language that's mystical, as they've described the outer reaches of human consciousness. So what clicked everything for me was the science. For instance, when a person goes into a mystical state, we know that the brain alters itself. The brain waves change. And so when you go into increased alpha activity, you get relaxed and start to drift. When you go into theta, you have these visions that are very profound. They can seem vividly real so that the internal experience is as real as the outer experience. It's a brain state. So these mystical states 
our brain states. And so that's how I look at it. I am interpreting something that cannot be captured in words, but trying to describe it so that it is a stepping stone to something expanded for people, because it has certainly been expansive for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to say the least. And the science is important. It's a mechanism for a lot of people to be able to hear someone tell a story about channeling and look at the paper and see the numbers and see the graphs and the lines go up and, oh, there it is, proof that something happened. But I do think a lot of the science is kind of lacking. I don't even know if the scientific tools we have are even up to the real challenge presented here by this sort of thing. And when you talk to people who are more of the mystic mind, they sometimes describe the spirit world and the dream world and the imaginal as all one big field of conscious energy that we can explore through our astral body and intense meditation. And then you start thinking about beings in that field, and it starts to seem like a big consciousness blob, like some kind of big consciousness soup, because it's hard for me to understand how separate beings can live in something like that. It's like beings made of water living in the ocean in my mental picture. So is that how you see it? I mean, sometimes you do see these things physically. Yes, it's called psychic vision. It's not a physical hallucination. I don't see them with my physical eyes, but I have the mental impression that I'm seeing them. But I wonder something you said earlier. I absolutely agree with you. I think the methodology we currently use in the sciences is very limited. And part of this goes back to these methods were developed over the last several centuries. But when you look at quantum mechanics, it creates a huge paradox for researchers, because when you are at the quantum level, as I know you know, there is no such thing as certainty. There's only a probability. And that movement into the quantum realm, one of the most obvious things to talk about is the phenomenon of light. So if researchers, when they started to look at light, it was a particle or wave. But what they discovered was, as they were looking at this more intently, well, how could energy be a particle and a wave? What happened was the observer looking at it caused the, one of those probabilities to collapse. So it presented itself as a wave or as a particle. The researcher's mind affected the outcome of the research. And so we have not, I don't think, in the science has reached a point where we can use that approach fully because we're just at the beginning stages of it. But anyway, I agree with you that science is limited. It's the demigod of our culture. So I speak about these states through the language and metaphor of science. But really what I'm looking at is opening the foyer, the door into expanded states. And when you get into those super expanded states, what you call the blob, and it does have a blob characteristic to it, there's so much going on at the same time. And I think for me, my experience is it's my vibrational energy that determines what part of the blob I experience. So if I'm in a coherent emotional state, I will experience better, we might say happier, quote unquote, resourceful aspects of the blob. I call it the great mystery. But if I'm agitated, angry, hostile, when I connect to the blob, I'm going to get that reflected back to me. So it really one of the critical points in anybody exploring this territory, in my mind at least, is the quality of their own consciousness as they enter into the great blob. <laughs> I call it the big head in the sky. 
Fair. The Great Mystery is a lot more eloquent, but the blob is my simple stoner college dropout language. So you would say that the spirit world and the dream world and the imaginal are just descriptors for one thing, or are they separate non-physical dimensions to you? No, I don't experience it as separate. I experienced it as very similar. I think what determines whether I have an experience in the imaginal realm or experience in the astral or etheric realm or other areas of consciousness has to do with what's going on inside my brain and my belief system about what I'm doing. Fair. You know, I really hope people do go and listen to at least some of the sound codes is usually the term that come through you because it's like, wow, that's one person's voice. Sometimes channelers just kind of alter their voice or, you know, their voice changes. I shouldn't say they alter it, but their voice might change a little bit and sound a little strange. And you're like, man, is that being faked? A four octave vocal range where it sounds like a choir of people singing together seems harder to fake. I'm not an opera expert, but it sounds a little bit like opera. It also sounds a little bit like the kind of chanting you would hear from indigenous tribes or the Icaros of the Amazonian shaman. It sounds a lot like that. And if you ask them, a lot of times they are trying to get in that headspace for contact as well. Right. Yeah. So it's really not that foreign. But I guess when it comes to the messages that the Hathors tend to have, that's where I see a lot of boxes checked with other channeled material. We need to take better care of the earth. We are these beings of a higher vibration. We're here to help you, but you kind of have to help yourself. It makes me wonder what these beings are doing with their lives when they're not just sitting there waiting for a connection to someone like you to give humanity a message. You know what I'm saying? It's just too human centric. Like, don't they have their own things going on up there? Oh, God, yes. They definitely have their own things going on. In the case of the Hathors, I mean, it gets to be very outside the box. And so if we're going to enter that, I think we should talk about what I call the imaginary box, which is a device, a mental device that if something doesn't make sense to you, throw it in the box. Don't take on any belief system as real, no matter who they are, what authority they may be. Use your own value system, your own sense of logic and life to see if it fits. And if it doesn't fit, if it's too violating, then throw it in the box and forget about it. In the process, you may find something of value. So take a look at that and work with it. So as we explore what seems to be, we're moving into something deeper. I think it's good for our listeners to put that by their side. Yes. And I love that you say that because so often with any kind of Material that seems to come from this spirit world. Sometimes people have an entheogenic experience, or we might just broadly call a download experience. And some of the information makes sense. Some of it doesn't. Some of it is scientific, and you have to wrestle with it for a long time before you even present it because it's like hard for your intellect to manage. And then sometimes it's rather silly. And so the imaginal box is a great technique to be like, look, I'm just going to tell you guys what the Hathors tell me, and I'm not going to edit. And if it doesn't make sense, you edit. You put it in the imaginal box, but this is what they say. <laughs> I agree with that. Fair. So I guess just before we get into the long relationship with the Hathors, 
In that film, Song of the New Earth, you do talk about several experiences besides just that Sumati experience on the uncle's farm when you're 18. You had a Kundalini experience in college that had you laid out for three days. Some of these things are experiences that are similar to what we've heard before, but one that is very different where the documentary gets its title is this strange experience that is the Song of the New Earth story. Can you elaborate on what that experience was like? Yeah, so I started getting these intimations from the Hathors about going around the world and singing at these different locations around the earth. My wife and I have been around the world four times, teaching and doing the sound work. But it was my 35th birthday, and the Hathor said, so we have something very important to transmit to you. This was the early stage of my work with them, and I was very reluctant to accept, even though, well, let me preface this. They presented something called interdimensional consciousness training to me early on, which involves the use of sacred geometry in mental exercises, like you spin a certain platonic solid in a certain way, and it activates the brain. And although at that time I could not accept who the Hathers said, who they were, or where they were from, I had to acknowledge that this method was creating powerful changes for me. In the true scientific fashion, I decided to have three big test sites and did free classes in the state of Washington for people to come in to increase their creativity. And people came in and they had these unbelievable experiences, creativity returning, people coming out of depression, people who had no sensation in the back of their body, like their back, suddenly could feel things touching them. So I had to accept that whatever the source of the information is, let's put it over in my own imaginary box, but let's acknowledge that what Ever it is, the actual techniques make changes for people. So when I was 35 on my birthday, I was at the height of my resistance to the Hathors because they kept expanding my mind so much, it was becoming irritating. I don't know if you've had that experience, you know, where your mind goes so far and goes, no, no, put on the brakes. This is too much, too fast. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> so I was in that particular point. So the Hathors said, okay, just go sit down. I went to a park. I dropped my son off, my youngest son, to have martial arts practice. I went and sat on something called Madrona Point, where all these Madronas are. It's a sacred site for the Lumi Indians. And I just sat down. And as soon as I sat down, my subjective experience, let me track subjective versus objective. Objective experience as I was sitting on the ground like a normal person. Somebody walked by, somebody's just sitting on the ground. My subjective experience was a giant hole opened up in front of me and I fell into the earth. So I'm going down through the earth subjectively. Physically, I'm grabbing the grass. Like my body goes into this, holy shit, a hole just opened up underneath me and I'm grabbing the grass to keep myself from falling. So my body, my biological information system of my nervous system was trying to track both things simultaneously, holding onto the grass because my body was sure we're falling into a hole. And the other part of me was exhilarated as we we're falling through this space. And as I go down, I run into several creatures. Let's call it that. One was an Aborigine shaman, and he's turning a fire stick, and he says, we have something to tell you when you come back. And I say, come back? Where in the fuck am I going? Didn't mean to say that. <laughs> no, it's safe here. You're in a safe place. Safe word place. Yes. <laughs> so I'm falling through there. Aborigines have done their troll sticks. Another being came and said, we have something very important to tell you when you return. Again, what the fuck? And I fall down to the bottom of the hole, and my subjective experience is that I'm in the center of the earth. 
which is molten metals, lead. And my hands were still holding the grass and my hands were getting tired because I was grasping it so hard. But that was coming from my neurological system that tracks survival. So my brain said, holy shit, there's a hole is open. We got to grab and keep ourselves from falling through. But when I hit the center of the earth, there's this white egg-like blob. And it says, I am the earth dreamer. And I'm about to change the dream. Will you sing the song of the new earth? And I said, I'll think about it. <laughs> Always when you interact with a being from another dimension, whether it's in your own mind, a creation of your own mind and brain, always get the specifics. So I go back up and I'm back in my body. My, my hands can let go of the grass. And I am like stoned out of my mind because of all the information that was going on. And so I look up and a couple comes and sits right in front of me, like maybe six feet away, which is really odd. And I realize I'm invisible to them, physically invisible. This happens a lot in this world. It's a vibrational thing. So I was in a different vibration. My energy body was, and they didn't see me for some reason. And they decide to start making love because there's nobody there. And, and so he takes off his shirt and they're really going at it. He gets ready to unbutton her blouse. And I'm nervous because, oh, I can see they're going to suddenly wake up and see me and say, hello, I'm not a pervert. I was here first, really. <laughs> so <laughs> the young woman, they were like in their 20s, it looked like, said, something's wrong. We need to leave. The guy didn't get it at all. The woman got it. So they got up and left. So the Hathers said, would you sing the song of the earth? And I said, well, again, I'll think about it. And then many years later, it just happened very quickly. I got inquiries from Europe and I went to Europe with my wife, Judy, and we went around the world four times singing the song of the new earth. In sacred places, quote unquote, I hate that word, but those places that are acknowledged as very special. Yeah, I love that story. Going down into the earth, talking to an Aboriginal shaman and then rock people and then to the earth dreamer and then came back up and they're like, now that you've been briefed, will you sing the song? We all want you to sing the song. It's just a, a really cool story. And the path has taken you, as you say, around the world several times, experiences that a lot of people wouldn't have. And this is another thing I've heard you talk about is moving the needle in terms of mass consciousness. Now, in the grand scheme of things, you're not Taylor Swift, you know, like you're not a household name. You have a, a name in a certain subculture, a lot of respect. And I know you've said to these entities before, like, why am I doing this? It doesn't seem like I'm moving the needle. And they say, well, it, it might one to 5%. And you're like, I don't even know if one to 5% is enough given the state of people out in the world today. As we started with the intro, like people are programmed to be in one state of consciousness. People are so far behind. They can't hear a message like this. And you've had those thoughts. Like, is it worth it? And I guess I have the same thoughts too. I think we expect a person with a legitimate, authentic connection to some spiritual entities to be amplified on the physical plane, to be a household name. There really isn't anyone like that, but all you can do is deliver the message and see if people are ready to receive it. But what are your thoughts on that, on your level of 
popularity or fame, given that I would think there'd be like a little extra oomph because you got spirits involved that should be able to kind of increase the potency of the message once it's delivered? Well, that's an interesting question. I think fame is overrated. I think that the pursuit of fame for me would be off the track of what I'm about. I think that some people, their dharma, their track, if you will, in this life is to become very well-known, to present this information to a wide range of people. I don't think that's my track in this lifetime. So I'm more under the radar. So I'm interested in connecting with people who are explorers and committed to the highest level of integrity that they can foster in themselves. And we go exploring together. I'm not interested in interacting with the masses, the mainstream, because they don't get it. And there's just so much time. (laughs) So I'm working with people that are, some of them are people who are going to go out and be well-known. I work with doctors and lawyers and highly amazing people and all gamuts. And some of them, I can see, will take their realizations to the larger sphere. But that's not my job, if that makes sense. It does. It does. And we can say that there's a little bit of a butterfly effect here. You know, you're part of a network. Who knows how far a message goes once it's delivered by any old person? And maybe fame is not the right term, but I guess influence, because if the goal here from the Hathar's perspective, it seems like the reason why they're connecting to you and delivering these sound code gifts and these messages is to get the word out. Clearly, anyone who has a message wants it to be heard by a large number of people. And if the goal is to raise the vibration of all people to get through this chaotic point in the timeline, then a lot of people kind of have to hear the message. Well, I agree with you on one level. Absolutely. There needs to be more awareness in our culture that there's another way to approach life than consumerism, mindless stupidity. But the way this works, dear readers, please take out your imaginary boxes and put it by your side, okay? The way I view this, which comes from the influence of all the spiritual traditions I've worked with for the last 40 years and the Hathors, all those influences have shaped my perception. But my perception and understanding is that because at a deepest level of consciousness, you and I, all the readers, the listeners at this program, All sentient beings, butterflies, frogs, alligators, crocodiles, fish, every creature on the earth, we are all connected. We are connected at a deep level in consciousness that's far beyond what our culture deems possible. So in that deep interconnectedness, it's like we're in a garden and there are different blossoms, different flowers, and they blossom at different times. And we are in a a garden of what is it, 8 billion people on the planet right now? Something like that. Way more sentient beings than that if you count up all the insects and everything. So all these consciousnesses, because even bacteria has consciousness, viruses have consciousness. We all have consciousness. And if you're alive, you have some form of consciousness. Human consciousness is just one. But at that deepest level of interconnectedness, when one person makes a shift, it has an effect on all their relations. And so it works from the bottom up. It's like mushrooms. A little mushroom pops up, but the organism is actually vast. It's underground and its root systems are everywhere. It can be like a square mile or more. 
So when somebody is in a deep place and they make a shift, things change in relationship. And the smallest thing can make a huge difference. When I was in San Francisco for a while, I played in bars and lounges. That's how I got myself through college. So I was playing in bars and lounges, and I had written a song about jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge and how Bunyan came to his senses and decided not to. So I just sang this song you know, in a bar. As I get ready to leave, some guy comes up to me and says, I want to thank you for that song. I was going to go out and kill myself by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge tonight. There's so many stories I could tell, but just one more to make the point. There was a woman in the workshop and we were working on resolving family issues. And she came in and she had tears in her eyes when she came back from a break. And she said she got a call from her sister and she had been estranged from her sister for decades. Decades. They hated each other. And her sister said, I just called to tell you I'm sorry and let's try to have a relationship. Those things are the phenomena of consciousness in action. So when somebody is very deep in themselves, they're connected to something that is vast but unseen. But all their relationships, everyone they're connected to, will somehow shift, maybe not perceptibly, but they're going to shift somehow energetically. So as this expands, I think the network is growing, but it's growing from the ground up, not from above down into the ground, if that makes sense in that metaphor. Yeah, it does. And I'm really interested in those examples of bleed over, we could say, or acknowledgement of the connection. A lot of us feel separate. That separateness seems to be an illusion. We also sometimes feel like we are our bodies, but we are in a container of sorts. Our consciousness is. But I guess people still struggle with understanding how much of that consciousness is really them because we think of our awareness and our personality and the out-of-body experiences I've had. My inner dialogue was intact. I was experiencing something strange and simultaneously feeling like, hey, this is really strange, but also familiar. I think that's common. But we struggle with how much of our awareness is us. What would you say about that if you have any insight, given that you tend to lend yourself to a lot of different awarenesses? Well, there is an interface that's important that you described. And it has to do with when a person enters the numinous, a word that means simply light-filled, and they go into outer body experience or a deep meditative experience or they time travel. I mean, all types of things can happen. The question becomes, where am I, where do I begin, and where do I end? And it has to do with the level of the nervous system that's operating from that level. And then the other level is what's going on in the numinous realm. So if we can track these two, I think they're important because one's like a particle and one's like a wave. We're back to the quantum mechanics paradigm. So as you expand those experiences you've had and other people have as they go into expanded states of consciousness, and they might go into a vibratory field that feels so familiar and comforting, but is so bizarre because there's no context for it in the rest of the person's life. So the quality of the consciousness of the person having the experience determines what the experience is going to be. And so as a person goes into these states, well, let me give you an example. Let's bring it down to the street talk, as we say. I got a call from an associate many years ago. One woman had taken one of his intensive brain courses and had had a psychotic experience. 
And he said, she's going to sue me. Could you see her? Because I was in North Carolina at the time and he was in California. So I said, sure, send her on up. So she came up with her husband and she talked about how she had these mystical experiences at this institute. And she experienced herself as Mother Mary, Mother Mary, the mother of Jesus. She became that archetype or archetype. I like archetype, but I think it's pronounced archetype. And she became numinous and people were having healing experiences with her. This is a housewife from Georgia walking around and people are having these experiences of her as Virgin Mary, the mother of Jesus. People are dropping at her feet and sobbing and people are having healings. That was a profound thing that happened. However, the shadow side of this was she was still in an altered state. She had done too much brain stimulation without any integration. She was at the airport and she was in this altered state and she looked at a Rolling Stone magazine and there on the front page was the Madonna. But this was not Madonna, the mother of Jesus. This was Madonna, the rock star. So because consciousness is so fluid in these altered states, her ego couldn't hold it. And she shifted to Madonna, the rock star. So she suddenly became, in her mind, as we call it delusion, she was absolutely the living embodiment of Madonna. She gets on the plane and she starts to have psychotic experiences and she sees demons on the plane trying to crash the plane. She's taking her high heels and smashing the glass of the window to get out on the wing <laughs> to grab the demons by the neck and save the plane. Well, of course, she's constrained and admitted to a hospital and there we are. So she came to the office with her husband and the pivotal point here is the fluidity of consciousness. If you don't have enough egoic structure to know who you are, and you go into one of these hyperfluid states, you might attach to another reality other than the reference reality of your life as a human being. And that can create a lot of problems. What's critical in this, so we have two things, the oscillation between what we call the numinous archetype of the mother of Jesus, the healing energy, then Madonna, the rock star, and we have a psychotic split. She's hospitalized, she's given medication, she comes back to normal, quote unquote, normal. They come up to see me, we talk about all this, and then out of the blue, she says, well, I have something to say. She said, the family owned a furniture business, big furniture business, and she hated working there. <laughs> it's unbelievable. One night she snuck in and set the place on fire. Her solution, to not wanting to work there anymore was not to say to her husband and her family, I don't want to work here anymore. She took the cowardly way out by burning it down to the ground. And that split in her psychology is what created that shift from mother of Jesus healing energy to a psychotic woman on the plane trying to smash the window. So that's really an important point that doesn't get discussed in what I would call the human growth era, the new age, whatever you want to call it. It's like everything, I think you have to be interested in these things with the type of level of sobriety and awareness. So one of my first teachers was a Taoist master, and he said, before you step into heaven, Tom, step onto earth first. Earth first, then heaven. Don't just jump into heaven. You've got to ground yourself because you can be blown away by these experiences. Even if they're powerful and beautiful. Right. That's very true. Even in psychonaut 
psychedelic culture, it's always about set and setting and know what you're doing and make sure you are of strong mind because, you know, blast off experiences can be disorienting to say the least. So let me ask you about the sound codes, because for people who aren't familiar with you, this is the crux of really what you do. The Hathors, you channel messages that are in text as one thing, like you can get the books and see the messages on the website, but they're often accompanied with what we might call a spiritual technology, a sound vibration frequency based technology that can actually be transmitted from their realm through you to ours. How do you describe these sound codes and what they are capable of doing as a technology or a tool? Well, I would preface my comment about the Hathors to go reference my work in acoustic brain research, which I was involved in for a little over 10 years. And I was working with a group of researchers who did the actual EEG work. I just came up with the sound codes. And so I would create sound codes and then they would do the studies. And one of the pivotal points was when I was, I guess, three years into that work and I got an email from a professor of neurology at a university in the Midwest. And he said, I'm including a copy of, actually it was a mail. I just realized it was a letter. It wasn't an email. And he sent me a photocopy of the readout of an EEG. Now get this. He was given a lecture in his class and he said, it is not possible to increase theta activity in the brain through music. And somebody in the room, a student had his hand up and said, sir, I disagree. I actually have in my backpack something that will do that. It's called acoustic brain research. And he said, well, bring it up here. Let's see. So he hooked it up, got a person from class to do the EEG readings, and it blew his mind because the theta increased. All the machinery said theta increase. <laughs> and the most powerful theta increase was here at the crown, the top of the head, because it's one of the EEG locations. That's why it was measured. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been. But this professor had been studying yoga recently and discovered that it was a crown chakra and it blew his mind. Why would the concentration of theta activity be in the crown and not spread through the rest of the neocortex? That's what's his question. And he also said, something's wrong with the equipment. This is not right. He recalibrated the equipment, ran the test again, same result. Being the good impeccable scientist, he said, there's something wrong with the equipment. And so he had the company come and they looked and said, everything's fine. So he said, wrote me back and said, would you help me increase our understanding of music on the brain? So that's an example of sound that was not generated from the Hathors. This was before the Hathors. These are intuitive sounds and patterns that I was working with. When we got to the Hathors, it took another dimension, like everything took a larger dimension when I interact with them. So here's something for your big imaginary box. According to the Hathors, vibration is a non-ending continuum throughout the entire cosmos. You have the higher frequencies become light, the lower frequencies become sound. In fact, if you had a cosmic piano, you would have a piano that has the keys that you normally have, 88 keys, but there would be keys further up and further down. And if you go further up, you don't hear it anymore, but you'd see it because it becomes color, vibration. So in the Hathor's way of viewing this, these sound codes are messengers from the light realms. So they actually originate in the realms of light and are dropped down into an audible range through, in my case, my voice. But anybody can do this. 
Now that's really fascinating because people do see orbs of light and beings of light often in high strangeness experience. It is something glowing. One recent example, someone told a story about an electric raccoon before they had a crazy experience and a download and a bunch of missing time. But again, electric raccoon. I like that out of Guardians of the Galaxy. Exactly. It suggests that it's uh, lit up, you know, so to say that, I feel like it jives with a lot of the experiences people talk about that a higher vibration entity or a higher frequency, it becomes light. And that's maybe why people see light orbs and beings flex into our reality. Right. Seems like you think that you would agree with that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Huh. That's interesting. So what do these things do? Like, I'm not a strong meditator. And I asked you just for fun, like, which one would you suggest to have a powerful experience? And I sat and listened to that one and did the box breathing and really tried to get into a meditative state. And I would say that I had profound visualizations and some of them are related to my work. And in the description of that particular spiritual technology, it does say that it would correspond somewhat to that. So I checked that box and thought it was profound. And I'm sure with more practice and more engagement, it would only get better. Absolutely. I want to make a point here. Sure. Because you hit one of the important things. The brain expands its dimensionality by repetition. So whatever it is, if you're learning how to play basketball and you practice, you get better. Same with meditation or psychonaut experiences. As you gain experience, your brain will expand its neurological connections and make the next experience you have perhaps more powerful or integrative. Makes sense. And so the benefits of raising one's vibration or engaging with these things from the Hathor's perspective, what do they say it does? Because even just raising the vibration, these are these terms, these new agey terms that a regular person hears, raise my vibration. I don't even know what that means or how to do it. It's so kind of vague, it's hard to pin down the details of what that means. But what do the Hathors say these things do when people listen to them? Or what have you heard from people in the audiences? Well, one example, I got an email years ago from a woman who was in Mexico on vacation and she had a gallbladder attack and she was in agony. She was in a part of Mexico that there are no hospitals around. She was like in the, the jungle. And she had a copy of Psychoimmunology with her, which was the CD I created to help the immune system. And so she said she had nothing else to use. So she listened to it and it stopped the gallbladder attack. Her experience was that the sound codes intervened and stopped what was going on. My understanding of this is that the sound patterns, when a person can relax, not go to sleep, but just relax, cool out, their nervous system operates better than if they're in a super hyperdrive situation, like I'm frightened because I've got a problem in my body. All I think happened was the sounds produced a brain state that allowed her to relax a little bit, and that decreased the internal stress and the pain decreased. And the other thing was she believed that it would help. So, it was, you know, there's this placebo effect, really what the person believes. So she really believed in the quote unquote technology, used it. And she didn't have any problems with her gallbladder. Hmm. Yeah, you could say that it just de-stresses you and allows your body to go into a state of self-healing rather than saying the music healed. It's like the music facilitates a state shift 
And then the body does what it can do and has done for a long time. But people, and especially in our culture, don't really think that healing works that way. You got to take some kind of pill and then you get the placebo effect. And that's the power of belief again, that sometimes it works that way if you're conditioned in the medical system. So I just think this is obviously very fascinating. I watched a demonstration you did in Paris and you encouraged people to meditate and visualize rooms with each chakra inside them. And you'd go one by one and say, you know, if you go inside the chakra room, there are treasures, new ways of seeing things and new ways of using intelligence that you can bring into your outer life. Can you elaborate on what you mean there by treasures or in other contexts where there seems to be things that are a little harder to pin down than a healing experience of our physical body? That's pretty black and white, but there's things that are a little more vague, but still powerful that you might consider in this category of treasures. Well, I think that our body-mind-spirit complex, in science we usually say body-mind, but I add spirit, body-mind-spirit complex, because there's an interconnection between our physical brains, our minds, and this world, the great mystery, or the big blob, as you called it. So there are treasures in these different dimensions of ourselves. And by treasures, I mean, like when you go into a relaxed brain state, which is an increase of alpha activity or theta, you enter a place where you go deep enough, it's almost like a dream. We call it a waking dream, because if you had somebody hooked up to an EEG during a waking dream, they would have activities very similar to when they were sleeping. And when that occurs, you experience things inside your body differently. We normally think of our bodies as flesh and blood. We weigh whatever we weigh. We're in the gravity well. There's nothing we can do. We're just like plodding along, or maybe you have a lot of energy and you can dance along. But our orientation is to our physical body. But when you go into these fluid states, it changes and the body becomes much more fluid and has energetic patterns that are information for you. Let me give you an example. When I was in my 20s, I had severe hypoglycemia. And I didn't know anything what was going on, why that was happening. And I had a dream. And in the dream, I was going, I went down into my kidneys. And each of the organs has its own field of intelligence, again, for the big imaginary box. We're not just a body, we're actually an ecology. And each organ and system has a contribution to our experience of whatever life is at the moment. And interestingly enough, recent research shows that one of the most powerful elements that affects our brain function, our perception, is what goes on in our gut biome. Because the neurotransmitters and the immunosubstances are produced primarily in the gut. <laughs> it's weird. It it's is true. Weird. <laughs> so we are this ecology, and each organ has a field. I called it a room in that particular experience you were talking about, where I took people into the chakra room. When they go into those spaces with awareness and relaxation, that's the critical part, relaxation and awareness. When they do that, they can get impulses from that area of the body, and all of a sudden they will see something that's of value. So back to my story, I had a dream. I went into my kidneys very clearly, and then I was flying a jet, and I took a bite of a candy bar in the dream, and the jet started to lose altitude. And then I crashed and then I woke up in the dream. I was still in a dream, but I woke up in the dream, but I was still asleep. And then I 
heard two Italians talking in an accent. And they said, Tom, you must stop eating so much sugar. We can't get all this sugar out of your body. That was the message from them, whatever these intelligences were in my kidneys. I went to the doctor, I guess, two weeks later, had no medical contact before then. What, the doctor, what does the doctor say to me? Stop eating so much sugar. So the numinous, that weirdness of the internal information of the body was presented to me before I got the medical diagnosis. I thought that was interesting. Very much so. And you mentioned that we are an ecology. And I started this asking you about mapping out the unseen, unphysical, non-physical world. And that's kind of a curiosity of mine, the spiritual ecology, or is there a spiritual hierarchy? Some of these beings talk about being fourth dimensional or fifth dimensional beings. It's hard to really know what that means, but do you see there being some kind of spiritual hierarchy? I guess. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. I've heard you talk about the feeders, which are kind of low vibrational beings that seem to feed off of stress and negative emotional states from people on the earth. So obviously that suggests there is a hierarchy. Yes, and the vehicle they're using now is the media, television, news, brainwashing that's going on through the media is an example of the feeders. Interesting. That was going to be one of my questions was, do the people who kind of make the rules in our society, the elite is obviously the common term, do you think that the shapers, the string pullers of our society know these sorts of things? Do they know how energy works and vibration work so that they can use these things, weaponize these mechanisms against the population? I think some do, but not all. Yeah, that's a question that comes up a lot with various guests is if the elite are in conscious communication with negative forces or if it's a subconscious, almost like a possession, like spirits can look down at our physical plane and see where the power is and kind of ride those people and influence those people without them being really aware of it. Definitely. Sounds like you're saying it's both and. Yes. And also, I would say that the hierarchy that I'm speaking of and thinking of has to do with the quality of the consciousness of the being. We're talking about spirit beings. Just because a being doesn't have a body doesn't mean they're enlightened. It just means they don't have a body right now. So it has to do with the quality of the consciousness. The hierarchy that I pay attention to is the hierarchy of the benevolent ones for a broad term. Includes all spiritual traditions but excludes certain aspects. What I mean by that, it's the beings who are life-affirming, life-enhancing, those beings who have love as their nature instead of those beings who have hatred as their nature. These are very two different things. So we have two hierarchies in the big blob. And the one I'm interested in is the beings that are benevolent and have compassion and love and are working towards the elevation of life. That's the hierarchy I'm interested in. I am aware of the other hierarchy. I'm not interested. It's just a choice. But whatever a person chooses, there's no right choice, actually. It's just experiences. But as a person goes into the negative hierarchy too much, it can really poison their life and relationships and make things very difficult. Mm -hmm. So I think that's interesting. You said, you know, just because a being 
is a spirit or or doesn't have a body doesn't mean they're enlightened. There are, you know, intelligent ones, less intelligent ones, altruistic ones, devilish ones. Well, what about that interplay between having a body and not or where these energies emerge from? Like I'm used to thinking in archetypes and that like there's just almost like a chord. Like if we're going to stick with musical analogies, there's like a chord, various chords that would correspond to what we might interpret as personality types if we were to tap into spirits. But where does a being, a feeder, or anyone on this hierarchy actually emerge from? Do they rotate in and out of bodies? Like those sorts of things. Like how are they born? What is the life like for uh non-bodied being it depends it depends a lot on the vibratory field they're in meaning how high up are they in their own ascent in consciousness or how low are they and that's what determines where they're coming from Mm -hmm. so i can't believe the time went by i have seven pages of notes here i barely even looked at them i just kind of shot from the hip because it was just so fun good that's the best, I think. That's the best. I hope so. <laughs> but it really is crazy that time has flown by so fast. It's been really fascinating. I really urge people to listen to some of your singing because it does seem really hard to fake or to achieve without being a conduit for something. I think the best thing they could do is watch the Paris presentation that I watched because it is a live stage performance as opposed to mp3s on your site but if you were talking to the skeptical knowing all the things you have done what do you think is the best thing they could watch or see to get the best most convincing material that you have out there is there some go-to you usually suggest to skeptics perhaps go to the acoustic brain research tab on our website and they can look at the scientific research behind what i do Fair enough. Yeah, that is definitely interesting stuff, too. Awesome. Well, man, I guess just in an open-ended sense, any parting words of advice or tips for navigating the chaotic node that we're dealing with? Well, we'd just like to mention that on the website, there's something called suicide prevention. And this was a program I developed years ago, back in the late 80s, based on the work of Dr. Milton Erickson. And so they're called Ericksonian Stories. And it's a hypnotic session, and it helps to reduce low self-esteem, decrease self-sabotage, and decrease suicide risk, including suicide ideation. And it has a long, long track record of success. And because we are in such a mental health crisis on the entire planet, the mental health professionals are just sounding the alarm. We're in an epidemic, folks. And this is an epidemic of mental illness. And suicide risk. Suicides are increasing astronomically, especially among young people. And so we posted this and it's greatly reduced and it's offered free of charge for anyone who doesn't have the finances to pay for it. So I would like our listeners take that in because they may come across somebody who is either trying to commit suicide or is thinking about it. And they could offer this resource and they can get it for absolutely free. And that's just part of this Hathorian perspective, which is that the more goodness we can create in the world, the better off the world will be, no matter what we do. 
we make a cupcake and do the best job we can with love, it will have a good effect. Yes, that message resonates with a lot of other guests who operate at the level of the field. And they say that you need to think about things in that field and think about your intentions and your positive reverberations in the field. And you could be having effects that you don't even realize just by being positive, not having negative self-talk or negative talk about other people. These are all things that affect the field. Do you agree? Absolutely. Nice. Man, just so much fun. I feel like I kind of had too much stuff prepared and had too many questions that I kind of like was overwhelmed myself. But before I let you go, make sure you mention to the people the website, the books, just the things they can absorb that you have put out there. Well, if they go to the website, www.tomkenyon.com, there's a tremendous amount of free content. Like most of the Hathors, all of the sound meditations from the Hathors, with the exception of a few, are offered free of charge in the listening section. So people can actually experience the sound codes for themselves, read the Hathor messages. I've written articles and there's other resources and interviews. So there's a lot of free content there. And that'd be the best place to go because then they can check in on the Hathor book, Hathor material, messages from an ascended civilization, and the Arcturian book and Magdalen book and other resources. Mm -hmm. I agree. The website is great. It's laid out chronologically, top to bottom, in the different sections from the sidebar submenu. And I think it's very easy to navigate. And nobody can say you're doing this for money because so much of it is just out there in the open. And you're just so matter of fact about these channelings. It's just <laughs> really incredible. But thanks for taking the time. I hope to catch you on tour someday if the tours come around again. But until then, keep doing what you do and take care. Thank you. And boom goes the dynamite. Something different than the THC norm, which is already different than the real norm, but I'm glad I decided to front run this one with one of his channelings. I couldn't shake the thought throughout the interview that I wish anyone who was listening and new to Tom would have that context, but he does seem to me like a brain researcher who was tapped to be a mystic. And he's been doing this almost as long as I've been alive. He's been vetted and interviewed a thousand times. But I had not actually heard of Tom until I was looking at the guest request section of the forum. And Seven Mead picked up on the fact that Peter Mark Adams mentioned Tom Kenyon in one of our interviews. And that he might make a good guest because he does have that brain research psych education. And so I copied and pasted that onto my very long list of leads and have had it there for several years now. And I should say, one of the main things people who listen tend to want to do when they contact me is suggest a guest. And I don't comment much in the forums, but I do keep tabs on the guest request thread. But it takes time to dig into a person's work and see what they're about. Hours, really. And so often a request is just a name. And those go to the bottom of the stack. I need a name a description of their work, a link to their website, maybe even a link to a good interview. And then I can have a little head start. So keep that in mind if you're making recommendations, bonus points if you give me their contact information. I can't tell you the amount of times I've gotten someone requested to me. I have spent hours listening to them talk, going over their website and being like, oh yeah, this person, this will work for us. 
And then I go to their website. They have no contact information. They don't respond on social media and their publisher doesn't write me back and it just never happens. So the more you can give me, the better if you really want your guest request to manifest. But as for Tom, the way his downloads usually come is that a new Hathor message will be paired with a sound meditation. So you can read their message, and in it, they usually say something about why this meditation is useful at the time, and then Tom gives his thoughts in a section below that. And like I said, I had a sort of woe experience doing the Cave of Altran meditation. I'll spare you the details, but once I got into that deeper state, the visual aid of the cave sort of took on a life of its own and became a very potent, waking, dreamlike experience. I don't know if this stuff is going to change the world or anything, but it does seem to work for individuals who engage, and it's all right there on the website for you. But I do have those questions. If these beings have knowledge and influence in our world, why not tap a person like Taylor Swift or Miley Cyrus to be the vessel? They obviously have more cultural influence or wider reach, but maybe there's no point because as soon as they hypothetically shifted to this sort of thing, their popularity would just collapse. But it feels like the Hathors could be more effective in spreading this message, but maybe that's also just me thinking with 3D human logic. Maybe from their perspective, you take the lines of communication that are open and you just hope for the best. Some other things that I like about Hathor messages compared to other channeled material is they say, hey, we're not saviors. We are just offering our perspective. Here's a little insight about what we see coming down the pike on your timeline. And here's some auditory technology that we can lend you to help you get through it. They also say in at least one message I saw, if you're still a mainstream thinker, well, we really aren't even talking to you and we don't even really have time for you. We're basically just trying to help out those who have gone through the red pill process, those with the eyes to see and all that. Basically, everybody's welcome to the table, but we know only a few people are going to sit down and those are the ones that we're focused on. They also said some pretty wild and detailed stuff about H1N1 that sounded like you could swap in COVID and it would be spot on too. I talked about that in the Plus Show. And a recent Hathor message that came out between recording this interview and releasing it got into what they say is their main advice for this time, and that is to, quote, stay curious and expect miracles. And when I reflect on that, it's pretty perfect as a message. I think about this Sigil a Day project with Gordon and people like Lynn McTaggart and those who operate at the level of the field and what even drives the conspiracy red pilling process. It's skepticism and curiosity, curiosity to understand how things really work under the hood. And that phrase expect miracles is just like, man, if manifestation has any truth to it, if there's something like a reverse placebo effect, you always hear people saying, don't focus on the fear and the negative because you do manifest it. Well, expect miracles is basically like stay positive and expect good things to happen. I would expect beings who had insight into how things work on a field level 
to say basically exactly that. And on top of it, their sound meditations seem effective, at least for me. On the first try, you know, I've been doing this show forever and I often say, eh, that didn't work, but it's interesting. So let's present it to you guys. But if you want more Tom Kenyon, watch the film about him. I got the vibe a few times that they were kind of coming in with a mocking energy, but the film is the film and you can judge for yourself. But I'd also recommend his Paris presentation that's on YouTube. You have to deal with translation, but it's a really killer presentation and you get to hear and see him doing his thing in probably the best form that I've found. And I'd say dig into the website and explore some of those meditations. When you go into the Hathor messages, you will need that imaginary box handy. But I think that's just how these things work. Big thanks to Tom for doing this interview and being bold enough to accept his situation that he's in. I know it hasn't always been easy. As for me, I don't think I was my best in this interview. I was really just starting to wrestle with the fact that the night before, it did become kind of real to me. And sometimes when I passed the ball, he would just give me a one word answer and pass it right back. And then I would fumble around a bit because I'm not really used to that. I don't mind looking stupid, though, just letting you know that I know. And In the second hour of this one, we got deeper into the mechanisms of lucid dreaming, slowing down time, exploring inner worlds, and even the idea of secret societies or the ability of groups to have meeting places in the imaginal and all sorts of fun stuff like that. We talked about beings that feed on negative energy, the Hathors understanding that they are in the fifth through the 13th dimension and that they feed on what we know of as stars. Just so many little insights that make sense of the weird stuff we talk about around here. Hathors looking up to their own higher dimensional spiritual teachers. I like that part. We talked about Tom's intuition or really the message that he got to stop teaching before 2020. This voice kept telling him to stop what he was doing and process the latest download or it could hurt him and the work. And he said that was in 1999, but I'm pretty sure he meant 2019. And he's been quiet for three years trying to wrestle with the latest downloads. And THC is only his second interview that he's done since the sabbatical. We talked about his thoughts on magic and why it works, architectural design, and the effects on human consciousness. Isn't it curious that we all basically just live in a box? Does that limit our consciousness somehow? Great stuff. Sign up for Plus if you have the stones. In higher side news, our latest episode with Analog was clearly a popular one. 4.7 on the Plus member rating scale. Like I said before, that's about as high as it ever goes. I'm shocked that Seamus maintained a perfect five, but 4.7 is great, especially with really unique stuff because THC topics are so diverse. There's always a few who don't like this or that. Really lively comment section two. Analog himself graced us with his presence as well as previous guest Alex Trismegistus from the StolenHistory.net forum, if you remember that interview. And we might even all do a show together if the stars align. But there was still some confusion expressed about the ratings and where to do it. 
Now that I'm talking about it, people are curious, but Plus members have to log into the website and scroll down to the comments section. You'll see five golden stars and you just point and click. Some people have commented that it's not working for them and I'll have our tech guy investigate, but it's tough sometimes with so many different browsers and devices in the world. If it's not working for you, you have to tell us what you're using because it helps our tech guy. And right now he can't find a configuration where it doesn't work. It works on his iPhone. It works on my Android and it works on my iMac with the Brave and the Chrome browsers. So help us help you. If you're unable to get a response from that star rating plugin, give us a little more information than it doesn't work. Also, as I mentioned before, I'm going to be ending each month with a free plus show in the free show feed. It might be effective marketing. It's at least free for me, and it gives new life to older shows that I liked a lot. I used Dr. Steven Skinner as the first one, a pretty timeless conversation about magic and magical history, even though it was from 2017. And look, it's just an idea I decided to try out just because. A free listener listens to it doesn't mean that they owe me or anything, but I would hope that the goodwill might motivate some people to sign up. The reality is that I could keep giving more and more and more free stuff, trying harder and harder to make my case, and many people would just take it all and never give anything back. I know why. It's a lofty goal to try to reshape the entire mindset of people around podcasts and media in general and make it reciprocal rather than just consumer-based for the sake of putting ads in your head. I think that's a bigger cost than $8, but whatever. And I'll say this just because it's a very new thing that I started to do. In the future, I'll just let it be what it is, but it can be frustrating to see that 45,000 free listeners listened to that free plus show in the three days that it's been up, at least 75% of the way through, that's all my stats will show me. They call that an impactful play. But 45,000 people saw that pop up in their feed and thought, oh yeah, I'll check this out. I guess the rest of the subscribers were just like, eh, that's old, I don't need it. Or maybe they just haven't gotten to it yet. It has only been three days. But how many of those 45,000 people decided to sign up for Plus? Think about it. Just make a mental guess before I say. If this was your business, what would you consider success? And of course, you never really know exactly. Some people might have signed up because they just got paid, or some might have finally pulled the trigger after years, and it's not exactly pegged to the release of a free plus episode. But the number of people who signed up after listening to that is 24. 24 people said, okay, I'm in. And I think if you were doing this work, if you were in my position, you might find that frustrating, right? I shouldn't complain. I am doing fine. But just think about your own work and 45,000 people enjoying what you put all your energy into. And then 24 people decide that it's worth eight bucks and the rest just say, thanks, I enjoyed that, but it's worth nothing. More free stuff, please. And again, you know, I should not complain. I love what I do. I'm very fortunate that I'm able to do it. And I have more than enough plus members to feel successful. But I think anyone who's been doing this full time for 
what? Man, 10 years now. I quit my job in 2014. Damn. But I think anyone would be like, man, what can I do to move the needle a little bit more? It's like a puzzle, and I've tried to solve it in every which way. I gave out cash a few months ago. I've spent a lot of money on marketing that went nowhere. And now I'm doing this thing. But the reality is 99% of people just aren't going to do anything but consume what they get for free and move on to the next free thing. And I just have to accept and be grateful that basically 1% is enough to make my family happy. But if you think about it, you'd be a little frustrated by that ratio. And I understand why people who are content creators get bitter. You really feel like you don't have value to so many people. It's like dance monkey dance is the phrase you hear in your head. But enough of the bitch fest. That is not the point. I'm just saying I'm going to be giving a free plus show out in the free feed at the end of every month this year. And if it helps, great. If it doesn't, I'll just go back to how it's been. Either way, I hope people who did listen to it got a little more out of it. Dr. Stephen Skinner was a really great, knowledgeable guest on magic and talking about it and the mechanisms behind it at a high level. And it does pair nicely with Tom today, too, in some ways. But that said, let's look at the calendar for our meetups. We have the Flame International Restaurant, February 8th in L.A., February 10th, Saco, Maine, the Golden Rooster, February 13th, Blaggard in Washington, D.C. Don't leave our man hanging. Nobody came when he made an event last month. I hate to see that. Now that I'm on the East Coast, I'd drive up there myself if I didn't have uh, these kids weighing me down. February 17th, the Monkey Puzzle in London is having a higher side meetup. That's a beautiful thing to see. And Nashville, Tennessee on February 20th. Just another resource that I maintain to try to help you guys find each other because it can be isolating to be in this particular counterculture. That said... Brace for a wild ride through this chaotic node in the timeline. Engage with some Hathor sound codes to rewire your own consciousness and keep your sanity through it all. Big thanks again to Tom, and as they said, stay curious and expect miracles. That's it for me. I've done my part. Your move, chaos creators, lower vibrational feeders, and energetic information keepers. Your fucking move. This is important, hear what I said I'm trying to tell you It's not paranoia, not in my head It's just the hard truth Knocked on your door while I still can To ask you a question Cause I know your head is still in the sand to your slaughter for the rest of your life Oppressed, oppressed, but you're getting woke You say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die Tough luck, my friend Did you get the memo? Can't you see that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung food? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this anyway It's a scary dark world
selfish, but we don't have a choice. It seems we're stuck here, but you can find noses, drown out the noise. Now use that altar, and up your magic game, and listen to THC, you know, you go with the entities. If you ever see the UFO, don't be sheep to your slaughter for the rest of your life, oppressed, oppressed, but you're getting woke. You say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die. Tough luck, my friend. Did you get the memo? Can't you say that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung food? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this. Did you get the memo? Can't you say that we're 